Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Hello there and welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kel Nelson, joined as always by Kevin Zerman. Hello, Kevin. How's it going? We, uh, unfortunately for you, I know you don't want to do this, but we have a podcast of some non-basketball things before we get into the basketball things. The non-basketball thing we expected to potentially come up uh, did indeed come up. We will run through it and then hit on basketball in the back half of this. Uh, We're basically just going to be going over the series of events and looking at what could be coming next. So that is what we will go over now before getting to the basketball. The story that we had a inkling of dropping did drop. Baxter Holmes of ESPN had a, I believe he said on Woj's podcast, 7,500 words with over 70 sources of current and former employees of the Suns establishing with allegations and accusations that it is a toxic workplace at times within the Phoenix Suns organization. This included racist and misogynistic comments by Robert Sarver in those accusations and in those allegations. We are going to assume that the majority of you listening have already read the story by now. If you haven't and do not want to read 7,500 words, you should anyway, just to get the full picture of it. You can go to ArizonaSports.com to read a story on every single little bullet in the timeline that we are going to hit right now going forward. So we'll just pause right here, keep going along, and then we'll return back to what was inside the story here in a bit. The next thing thing to drop was the Suns ownership group, according to their staff directory, has Suns owner Robert Sarver and then three vice chairmen. One of them is a Mr. Najafi. He released a statement that basically called all of these accusations, allegations unacceptable, said he was saddened by them, and he fully welcomes the NBA to look into these happenings, and he wants to see... um, I I can't remember how exactly he termed it, Kevin. You were... Just see the investigation through, and you know he, he released it through his own company that's separate from the Suns, which is notable to me. Um, also Jeff Zilgit, I hope I'm pronouncing that right of USA today said he's second as far as ownership share behind Robert Sarver. Also notable there. Notable indeed. I'm flubbing going through tabs right now. The conduct he is alleged to have committed has stunned and saddened me and is unacceptable. The well-being and safety of every Suns employee, player, coach, and stakeholder is first and foremost our priority. My sincere sympathy goes out to all those lives and professions that have been impacted. Uh, And the statement goes on. From there, we get more statements from the Suns because we got the statements before the story existed. Uh, They obviously had an inkling of its existence and what it contained. But now that the story was out there, the statements come out from President and CEO Jason Rowley and Suns owner Robert Sarver. They are, would you say the correct phrase is to to describe them as to be outright denial? Do you think that is? Nearly outright. Nearly outright, but there was a theme of both, which was both statements, first of all, just criticized Baxter Baxter Holmes and... Yeah, attacking his reporting. Went after his reporting, and then Robert Sarver's statement specifically went after the credibility of Earl Watson as as a source in the story, which we will get into in a bit. We should say that uh, the story did have um, Robert Sarver and his legal team um, denying a lot. They admitted to a few things. Again, go read that. Um, But yeah, they used the word vehemently, which I can't say very well ever. You want to try to say it? Vehemently. Yeah, that was better. I get paid to do this, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. From there, we get an announcement from the league that they are investigating this. This follows up the same law firm that looked into the Atlanta Hawks and the Los Angeles Clippers. We will, again, 
once we get through the timeline, go down why those are different roads that we're going down compared to the one that we're on right now. From there, former Suns general manager Ryan McDonough issues a statement on Twitter expressing sympathy as well. Earl Watson, I think, might have had just the strongest statement of the day in terms of just saying like he doesn't want to get into this back and forth of what's fact and what's not, essentially. And just, I mean, for lack of a better way of phrasing it, just kind of standing up for himself. Ongoing battle of fact. Instead, I want to applaud and encourage the numerous players, executives, and staffers for fighting toxic environments of racial insensitivity, sexual harassment, and microaggressions with their truth. From there, there's a basketball game to be played that night. We hear from head coach Monty Williams, and he is going to echo the thoughts of Chris Paul and Devin Booker, which will echo the thoughts of me and you, I believe, which is that he was asked just a a couple of different ways, and he multiple times insisted, I'm aware of how serious and sensitive these allegations are and the accusations are, which we will get into in a bit. But we have two sides to a story right now, and as Devin Booker would later put it, it is a he said, she said thing right now. He said, he said, she said, she said. Just one of those things right now where we're hearing two sides and we just don't know what is fact yet. The Atlanta Hawks investigation, Kevin, had emails. Yeah. The Los Angeles Clippers investigation, which was more of just I, from what i remember about that it was like the audio tapes were just out and it yeah. was it was there from the, it was there from the jump yeah yeah of um donald sterling using racist language we are not there right now we are in a reporting of a lot of anonymous sources a few not anonymous sources but the majority of them anonymous and it is a battle of he said she said this is where you get into the debate of like what is evidence what isn't do we take people's word as evidence and we're not going to go down that road i don't think but i I, think me and you can support the words of the players and the coaches by saying just need to see what the nba kind of does from here i think the investigation well the story leads in like all these other cases whether you're the two you mentioned that this law firm was involved in or um the dallas mavericks one was the league obviously responds to these things, right? So once that story gets out, the league within the same day um, says they're doing an investigation. So I think it's important to say, okay, the story is the starting point to this, but the investigation is what's going to impact it. So we have to wait and see um, on how that goes. And it is an important distinction to say the emails and the audio matter. Um, unfortunately, like that's how this works and we go from there. But, um, yeah, I don't really have, do you have more details? Do we need to circle back on anything? Oh, more statements, Kevin. There was more Uh, statements today and there's probably gonna be more statements tonight, more statements tomorrow. And when we don't go through a 24 hour news cycle without a statement, I will be surprised to make my own statement that there isn't any statements because we got more statements. We got some statements from some minority owners today. Vice Chairman Andy Kohlberg. So again, uh, Mr. Najafi is a vice chairman. Andy Kohlberg is a vice chairman. And then also the third vice chairman, I believe, is Sam Garvin. Okay, so he those are the three vice chairmen. So two are on the well. Okay, go ahead. Andy Kohlberg released his own statement about it's it's its own screenshot here. It's its own tweet from the Phoenix Suns. I've known and been business partners with Robert Sarver in multiple businesses for more than 17 years. I've been vice chairman of the Phoenix Suns since 2011. I've attended regular se- regular meetings with the Suns senior management team and Robert Sarver since that time. I've attended hundreds of Suns games in person, and I've had conversations with staff at all levels of the organization. And no one has raised with me any issues about any sexist or racist behavior from Robert, and no one has ever made comments to me alluding to the culture of the organization that were consistent with allegations made in the ESPN article released on November 4th. In addition, I have never seen or heard Robert make any statements that I experienced as racist, sexist, or misogynistic. Uh, the statement goes on with similar sentiments. That is its own statement. And then there is a statement from members of Sons Legacy Partners, LLC ownership group. This is basically the ownership group that Najafi is not with. He is independent in that. Kohlberg, I believe, 
owns the soccer team in Mallorca, Mallorca, I never know how to say that, in Spain with Robert Sarver, just for context there. Yep. Uh, the statement goes, we are members of the Suns and Mercury Ownership Group, along with managing partner Robert Sarver. We reviewed the article published by ESPN. Uh, to a person, we dispute the characterization of Mr. Sarver and the organization as racist and sexist. We support Mr. Sarver's leadership and stand with him. To that end, we join Mr. Sarver in welcoming Commissioner Silver's investigation of the allegations presented by ESPN and will fully cooperate in the investigation and any suggestions the league may have. It is our sincere belief that this inquiry will demonstrate that our organization and Mr. Sarver are faithful stewards of our employees, our franchise, our fans, and the game. That is signed by the most notable name, of course, being former Cardinals receiver Larry Fitzgerald, but that is signed by Sam Garvin. So he, uh, Kohlberg also signed off on this or, or had his name put on this statement. So he had two statements involved here. Garvin just had this one where he was with the group and then Najafi was independent of this group, had his own statement that took a uh, different tone, Kevin, which this is, if there's anything, it's a wrong word, but if there's anything to note from this day and a half, I think that is the most notable thing so far is is that. To me, just going back to the story, um, when Jordan Schultz put out that tweet teasing the story that wasn't his story a few weeks back, um, everything in the story kind of confirmed what he had said. But to me, the, the bigger thing is it's not just like a Robert Sarver thing, right? In the story, it's it's the culture perpetuated by the allegations, what they said. In other instances, you can go again, read it. Um, it is it is so, not alleged to just be people working under Sarver and with Sarver. It is right. alleged to be a fluid. It is a, a NBA team is a very very large organization. These allegations come up and down. Yeah. Um. So to me, that was. That's a thing that, regardless of what happens with this NBA investigation, like there are going to be things that go on there. You hope to fix any of those things if those allegations are true. The other thing that stood out in the story to me was there are, what, 20-some owners, maybe only 20, according to ESPN, um, about a group of 12, because some of them on this statement released today were families, um, signed that statement, were on board with that statement. Najafi was separate, so I don't want to do the counting for you. But the ESPN story said that ownership has, like, there's factions, basically, right? That, you know, obviously you, when you have 20 people, not all of them are going to agree on how things are done and all that sort of stuff. Um, anonymous owners minority owners are quoted in that story yep so that to me was the interesting part and then when you put these statements that we have together um the ownership group is not aligned obviously um that i think that's pretty fair to say so we we knew that once we saw that a minority owner was quoted in the story the way that they were quoted i'm going to pull up the quote here in just a second yeah but we further had that emphasized with this day and a half of statements Right. So I think that's what we we can say like that could be that could be a thing in a lot of big organizations too. So maybe it's not that big of a deal, but um it's certainly emphasized in a time of um not good times. The level of misogyny and racism is beyond the pale one son's co-owner said about Sarver, it's embarrassing as an owner. Yeah. Kevin, again, we encourage everyone to just go read the story. With that being said, we should just address the concerning, disturbing allegations in here. There's a lot to, and it's one of those things, Kevin, where if you were just scrolling through Twitter and didn't read it and you were pulling up screenshots at least and you saw how many different screenshots were coming across of just the examples, it was... Um, not the easiest read, and I mean that in several different ways, just, of course, with the sort of stuff we're going over here is very sensitive, like Monty said, but also every example, and I haven't checked this, but the the majority of the examples of an event occurring that displayed some of these things 
had a statement followed from Robert Sarver through his lawyers. And it was denial about a handful of them, not every single one. He, I believe, did, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly, the, the pantsing he confirmed. Yeah. I'm going to double-check that right now, but that was that and was just the, and yeah that was just the i would like to apologize directly to david bodzin that this is the uh, through his attorney sarver said i remember this incident from seven years ago i never meant to cause any harm or offense and i certainly did not mean to embarrass mr uh bodzin that was a former son's account executive who was doing one of the als ice bucket challenges at the time and was pantsed in front of more than 60 employees uh, and then he had one HR representative smirk and say, please don't sue us for sexual harassment. I think the most the most uncomfortable part of reading this, Kevin, and I think where everyone comes back to is there the allegations and accusations portray an environment where people are not sure where to go with these problems and issues. You have HR for a reason. This is why HR exists. And... The sentiment portrayed in the accusations was that even HR people were t- were telling people, you might just want to go sue instead of going through us. And for reasons we don't need to get into, Kevin, that is a very, very uphill battle to ask someone to climb. Yeah, and I think it's important to point out, like, high in the story, it's... Mike Bass, who's with NBA Communications, said, well, we don't have... We don't have a record of any of these types of complaints with the Suns um, that were mentioned later in the story. But again, if if it's true that you have a culture of that, then of course um, they wouldn't have those. Like that's just unfortunately when you have a culture like that, that's what happens. Um, so. Th- those allegations may or may not be on the record, and that's why we have to see what the investigation brings. We do, and, and we just hope that the allega- uh, the investigation is um, swift is the wrong word because it's, it's going to be a lengthy one, but it is precise, accurate in terms of just picking off everything that needs to be picked off in these allegations and accusations, and you just want everyone to feel better about going to work you know that's what we all ask for and and for these this amount of people to feel uncomfortable is a word i keep coming back to it's just the accusations and allegations make it seem like an uncomfortable place to work to say the least and for others like dangerous in that sense especially for the woman who had allegedly had a boss physically assault her and asked to be moved away from there and got moved just one desk down those types of allegations are the ones that are just really disturbing. You think about someone's mental health, which they also get into here, and 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 now we just wait, right? I guess, yeah. The I don't remember even how like the Dallas Mavericks investigation was. I don't even remember the ending to it. Is it still going like that? I don't want to compare anything because they're they're harder. Um, but like how public does that become and that kind of thing it's probably not going to but hopefully if there's anything out of order they get it back in order think think we're good there right in terms of covering it is there is no way to go back to the comparing the three major which is fair like you we do not see this very often so when the nba investigates comparative from uh how the league handles yeah it's fair it's fair to compare but it's also you have to do it delicately and in this sense we cannot use it in terms of like a time like that's impossible and especially from the source material we are going off of again if i remember correctly like the clippers thing was like just the tapes leaked and then it was yeah see ya uh this is not going to be that. It's it's going to be... Hawks did take a while, I believe. It's going to be an arduous process. And yeah, I, I don't know what else much we can say on it. We will also... We will, we will obviously discuss further developments on here as they come along. Anything worth noting. But from there, uh, there there's nothing much else to say. You just hope the investigation brings, uh, I think, what how book phrased it was like he's just 
he it's in, he hopes they put it in good hands and they get the truth. I'll find the I'll find the full quote here in a second. But I think him and him and Chris just kind of to get to like the basketball side of it uh, in a second. But to what Book said, I think the NBA opened an investigation and they are going to do their due diligence of bringing out facts instead of he said she said. I'm sure the NBA has it in good hands and will do the proper research to find out the truth. And that's I think that's what everyone's hoping for here. Yep. Okay, we brought, up, we brought up the basketball people. We are going to take a quick commercial break. And we're back because we don't have commercials on this podcast. Let's talk about basketball. Rockets game. Wait, what, what was it before the Rockets game? We it was, it, They played the Rockets yesterday, Kevin. That's well, correct. I don't remember when we last podcast, like usual. So they've won three games in a row. To say they have been encouraging would be a is farce too aggressive of a word, Kevin. Farce is like very aggressive in tone. But it would be a reach. We podcasted on Monday. They beat the Pelicans after a holy cannoli first half of madness. Uh, they did not convincingly beat the Pelicans, who are now, I believe, one in seven. They are now 1-8. They do not have Zion Williamson or Brandon Ingram in that game. They have Devontae Graham coming in as probable already in that game. They commit, I believe, 14 turnovers for 22 New Orleans points in the first half. The amount of live ball turnovers and just... Runouts. 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 And... Something Monty talked about about game two or game three into the season was like we don't want to be put in a position where like Chris has to save us. It's a position they were in, brother. He Ooh. saved him, but yeah. that's the position they were in. And I I led my story with I don't know how you choose to digest this in terms of do you half glass full, half glass empty, and I'm somewhere down the middle. I don't think you can read too much into it beyond hey good fight, but also it was a terrible start and kind of having it. Um down the middle and then the Houston game yesterday I, I looked at uh, Gerald Bourget at like around two minutes left in the uh, in the first half and I was like what is this what are we watching because it's just <laughs> it feels like the Suns are comfortably leading but the Rockets are right there and then the Rockets just keep getting layup after layup and I'm like okay this is what's happening they're just getting a lot of easy shots Kevin if the Suns just shoot the, the three they the way they have been before maybe they don't win that game either I was not I wasn't looking for this to be a two games of just beat the bad teams emphatically, but I think that's what you would hope for from a team that was this good last year. But we didn't get it, man. They're going to have to. My I back up my sentiment from last week, just like or from earlier this week. Like they are really going to have to grind to get through this current state they're in right now because it's it's not ugly, but they're going to have to put in a lot of work to get some wins. My take is a little more optimistic after these two games i think just because you have the second halves ish where instances where it looks like last year's team where they're just they flip a switch um and they're playing good defense they're getting good offense off the defense um booker cp are doing their thing which again you don't want necessarily to happen but like lander schmett Shamit just got his shot back. McGee has kind of like these moments where you have the whole experience, which I asked you earlier, is that a thing, the JaVale McGee experience? Because everyone's tweeting that at the same time last night where it's just like, ooh, I don't know if he, he should be on the floor. And then suddenly it's like, oh, he got them off to that 8-0 run or whatever. So there are moments. But again, it's I, I keep saying this about this team it's like now that they're not in the playoffs now that they're in the grind of an 82 game regular season it's like they're looking for the other team to get them motivated and being down like 10 because they know they're good isn't enough to do that or being down 20 might be but it's like if russell westbrook's not like rocking the baby in front of you to piss you off or other things like that in a big game then they're just like struggling to flip that switch and i i think chris like individually did it i think book had a moment last night where he individually did it and 16 in the third yeah yeah the team kind of follows but mike you you gotta find that going at the start of the game and so that's where i'm seeing 
again, like not, I don't think it's teams gunning for them because they're good. They were good last year. I think it's them like fighting human nature of like knowing that they're a good team. Yeah, being a switch flip team is very dangerous. And it's a good point that the optimistic viewpoint of that is that they have flipped the switch in the second half and particularly in the third quarter of both of these games. I believe it was the fourth quarter in the New Orleans game where they really uh, beat them up, but they outscored them 28-23 in the third quarter and then, yeah, 36-18 to in the fourth quarter. Last night, 37-25 to in the third quarter. 30 to 25 in the fourth quarter so that's progress and 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 i appreciate you shouting that out but i just think that i've never been a fan of i've never been one to read much into the ability to flip the switch if that makes sense yeah i mean because this this is a wear down team this is a team that where's yeah they had a win that i talk about all the time against philly like 15 games of the year in phoenix where by the early fourth quarter, I could tell, I was like, oh man, Philly's just beat up. They've just physically outmatched them and worn them down in this game. And you cannot do that as a switch flip team. So yeah. it's it's a different identity for them right now, and it's not the right identity for them to have, which is what I go back to saying in terms of like they've just got some work to do to get back to where they were at. Yeah, for sure. I agree with all that. But also, I'm, I think I was thinking more negatively like, through what six games it's like is this team was last year it like was and i know it's way too early still but like that's a thought in fans' head i think where it's like is this that was just a lucky run where they're making all their threes and playing good defense is that gone is was really willie green really like that helpful as far as like being the defensive guy like things like that and and so i think i'm saying that just to say yes flipping a switch isn't good but but they still have that juice. They're indeed can still be that team. And it is just like kind of a feeling out portion of this season, which again, it's still super early and they have even more games to like go on a strong run, finish on a strong run, all that stuff. Um, but I think there's less like reason you should panic at this point, I guess. They're taking care of business. It's not pretty, that type of thing. 1 to 10 scale of panic, I'm still at a 1. Are you still at a 1? Yeah. Me too. Landry Shamit was 1 of 7 in in the Cleveland game on Saturday. It was a sort of deal where he talked to us either at shoot-around that morning or the day before and sort of unprompted just kind of brought up like, yeah, I got to be more aggressive. Like I was watching and I was like, I just I can't like float around. Then he came out aggressive and was just 0 for 5 from 3 and shots didn't fall on money agreed with that sort of same thought process when I asked him about it the next day on uh, I think Monday of practice and he was like yeah those are that's how we wanted to play just keep going keep being aggressive play free be aggressive we're always someone is always shouting from the bench like shoot Landry go Landry because he was so used to and was programmed for three seasons as standing corner man don't do much man and now it's like no we want you to do everything that you can do Uh, only two shots against the Pelicans but then he comes out Takes eight threes in 19 minutes against Houston. Makes four of them. What I liked, five of five from the foul line. That was like the .5 stuff me and you talked about when the trade happened, where it's like if a closeout's late, he'll take that one dribble and go in there, draw a foul. Five of nine from the field, 19 points. That was uh, really good to see because we were a couple games in, Kevin, we were like, okay, are they going to utilize this guy? And it's it, it just looks like it's going to take time. He has not played 20 minutes in a game yet. Yeah. So I think they are just waiting for him to find that comfortability. And once he does, they'll get there because with five minutes left in the second, he was rolling. And when Chris came out, Alfred came in and I was like, well, just let Landry run in for five minutes. But then Alfred played well anyway, which shows Monty Williams is smart. And wouldn't you believe it, Kevin? I'm kind of an idiot. Don't know what I'm talking about. We don't know more than the coach. No, but I but think, I think yeah. that was like an opportunity to like just let Landry run the offense for five minutes. Him and Book switch it off and just see how it looks. He's rolling right now, and Book's not doing too shabby either. But they're still not there yet. And then Alfred played well anyway. And there are other elements at play. But I think we are not at once. Monty has that full confidence in him. I think we will see the minutes go up, and this could be like the breakthrough game for him to get that. I think. A few games before he was like just not even getting touches or literally just sitting in the corner and not even getting movement. So, Happened in this game in his first shift. I was yeah. talking to David Brand from the AP and I was like, he's just standing over there. Yeah. And uh, to me, the interesting part about him is 
there was, I believe he made one three, and then there was one on the right wing where he pump faked and drove, and I think he drew a foul on that. And Eddie Johnson, obviously you were there, but on the broadcast, Eddie Johnson's like, I like that. He's mixing it up. And I was kind of like, I saw Monty jump out of a seat, and I thought Monty jumped out of a seat because he didn't take the three that was already open. So that's going to be an interesting balance for him because and and not just him like cam johnson falls in this mikel maybe a little bit right now but it's like you're a really good three-pointer shooter dude i don't know if you necessarily need to be driving and drawing fouls like i know this team needs that but sometimes teams are just going to put you in mid-range jail and let you take those mid-range shots just take the three so him cam johnson i think is he's been a little better the last game where he's just taking shots with dudes in his face i don't know i'm i'm all about diversifying but it seems like this team is still trying to figure out like oh book and chris can do mid-range stuff like i can too and it's not necessarily necessary i think i i threw out on twitter just the numbers they're bottom five basically in all three-point categories as far as shot attempts allowed and percentage um for them and their opponents and Van Gundy was all over that on the ESPN broadcast with the Pelicans. Like he was like, this team has been outscored twenty two points per game going into that one um, from three. You can't win that way. So we'll be interesting to see if they take the Rockets game and kind of build from there because I think it was a good start and obviously it helps when you're making them. I don't know if we have much else to say on like the team aspect, but we haven't really broken down players a lot. But let's go quick, so rapid fire through the rotation. You ready? Are we? Should we do like got the numbers in front of me so we can kind of break down? Encouraged, worried. We've had like a seven game sample size now to see. Worried and finding, yeah. We've had enough games now to make a proper read on where players have started the season. Essentially, okay. Devin Booker is shooting 41% from the field, 32% from three on six attempts a game, 23 points, six rebounds, five assists a game. I think he's still Devin Booker. I have no concerns. If you were looking for a three-point renaissance, though, I don't know. Do is Yeah, he's kind of tough. He's fine. He's fine for Devin Booker, which is pretty good. Yeah, I don't have anything else to say. Uh, guess who's the second leading scorer on this team? Kev, it's Mikel Bridges. 16 points per game. He's shooting 58% from the field, 45% from three, 66% from the, or 60, uh, sorry, 63% from the line. I think that's only like seven or eight attempts total, though. Four rebounds, an assist, a steal, a block. Encouraging. Has he been the Suns' best player through seven games? Yeah. I think he has, Kevin. Pretty impressive. Good contract on that one. We'll give you an applause, sons. Yay. Chris Paul taking 9.4 shots a game, by the way. Mikel is at 11.9. Devin just a shade under 20. Uh, Chris is shooting 45%, 35 from three, 12 points, four rebounds, 12 assists, two and a half steals. I think that he is obviously at a high level uh the highest level that he's ever been at again it's like a year-to-year thing where he's always crisp ball so the way that he sees the floor is still obviously there and that's always going to have him be such a plus on the floor regardless but it still feels like the flow of when he scores when he not even when he scores when he decides to dribble a couple times inside the three-point line i think that's still finding itself through seven games for him legs um yeah defense not the best sometimes which we'll keep an eye on that it is you have brought it up and there have been a couple of possessions where in the back of my head i'm like all right we'll see where we're at in game 60 but yeah we'll we'll see where we're at because he was i thought he was really i don't know where you were at on his defense last year but i i said that i thought he was close to all defense last year i thought he was fantastic last year not on the ball okay sometimes slight disagreement Jay Crowder is shooting 37% from the field, 29 from three, five rebounds, two assists, eight points per game, and a steal. I was talking to David Brand about this and showed him like game logs, and it's just, it's going down. <laughs> it's going to come back up. Everyone knows I'm a Jay Crowder stan. I ain't worried. Nah, just the shot. Other stuff, fine. 
DeAndre Ayton, uh, third on the team in shot attempts per game, 10.80, shooting 58.5% from the field, 14 points, 11 rebounds a game, a steal, a block, and an assist. I thought in the Houston game, and this again, he's coming off an injury, so who knows, but we have just seen the games where he is fading away on shots when the guy is 6'6 on him. He has... There was a play where he either caught an offensive rebound or got a post entry on the left block and one defender was on his back and one defender was on his right shoulder, essentially. And all he had to do was turn power dribble with his left shoulder, bump into that guy. There was no one in the key and he could have dunked it. Instead, he just takes his one dribble, takes his like five foot hook shot and misses it. And we've talked about with that with him for three years, but that that was a very one of those games from him. But overall, Kevin, I, I think he's been he's been good. Is this the breakout pay me my max money year? It is certainly not. Agreed. This is the guy that inspired this conversation, uh, Kevin. Who do you think I'm talking about? Cam Johnson. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, he is shooting 35 percent from the field. He's actually shooting 34.5 on the field, 35.5 from three, which means on his twos he's shooting 33 hmm. percent. Eight points per game, two and a half rebounds. The assists. I looked at this. He's playing three minutes per game less than last year, but he's averaging half the amount of assists he normally does. He's only got five and seven games. Uh, I don't know what's going on there, but he's off to a he's off to a slow start, and and the assist number to me backs up what I've been seeing, which is just that it's not the usual. Again, to compare him to Chris Paul, I guess it's just like the flow of him within the game is just not where it usually is. He's just usually a very seamless guy that fits into everything, and it seems like it's not quite there for him right now. Shot looks good, but looks like he's trying to do too much, playing outside his role. He's not. I don't know what his turnovers are, but he doesn't have the handles to do a whole lot, whether that's moving off screens and attacking with his face up um, or making plays off the dribble. So I think that's something where he's trying to pick up like where Mikel was trying to pick up last year in the mid-range stuff, and it's just not there for him. Um, Like, the Cam Hive's probably going to hate me for saying that, but I don't know if he'll ever have that game just because that's not him. But again, it's early in the season. And I think it's good to promote, like, if you're Monty, find out if guys can do a little more. Um, reel them back in if they can't. Yep. Same thing with DA, same thing with Landry. Um, and I think that's, like, why it matters that Chris Paul plays the way he does early in the season. Like last year, it's going to allow these other guys to kind of find themselves. Um, and they can self-police themselves as far as what's working, what's not. But I think they're just in a experimental stage still. thing about guys like him is you can't lose your, uh, oh my gosh, what's the saying? I'm going to move on. I forgot what it is. <laughs> the twinkle in your eye, whatever it is, the the something in your smile. I can't remember. He's still flying around the court and doing energy player things all the yeah. time. And if he's doing that, he's he'll be fine. He's going to be fine. And it's not like I'm saying that as a way to indicate that he's been a positive on the court through seven games, the net positive because he hasn't. But once a shot or two starts falling, that's a really easy turnaround because he's doing all the other stuff. The defense is great. The rebounding, flying in transition, yeah. all good. We talked about Landry Shamit. Campaign has only played two games. Boy, do they miss him. JaVale McGee. The JaVale McGee experience, he is shooting 70% from the field, 10 points and 6 rebounds a game on only 15.4 minutes. That means that, yes, Kevin, he is second on the team in points per 36 minutes. He's at (laughs) 23.7 per game. He is your leading rebounder at 14.7 points per game per 36 minutes. You go first. We talked about it. Just stop doing the two dribble handoffs just like move it just move on don't need to make you the point center guy you know what Monty has been saying about Landry Hmm. we just want you to play yeah want you to play free oh he's taking that JaVale loves that don't need to tell him (laughs) twice (laughs) give Landry some of that I also think that Risk assessment and Monty being like, okay, well, if we tell him to reel it back, what are we going to get? And you're getting a lot of good things. 
Like you're getting a lot of overall it's a good thing when he yeah. plays so far. So I don't I don't know, but the to your point, if it's just some of those little there was the pass last night where he looked right at the guy on the other wing when he was out of the post and then just threw it anyway when he he had to have seen the defender there anyway. <laughs> There's was like just, two guys there, yeah. Yeah, it was just one of those things where it's like, oh man, like he's I get it, you're you're a better passer than we know. Um, but you I, I still wanna see him in my opinion, I would still like to see him play like with that sense of freeness, but can he is he able to at this stage of his career at thirty four, like dial it back a little bit while still playing that way? I don't know. So he certainly wasn't this wild and crazy though with like the Lakers, I know that. So uh, it wasn't as many of these moments. I did mention when he came in, like you're going to have the JaVale moments, but this has been extreme. We get three or four a game. Very extreme. Uh, two turnovers a game, by the way. Yeah. If I go to Ooh. per 36 on the turnovers oh. per game, he is second on that as well. He's only not first because Chandler Hutchinson is averaging 12 a game per 36 because he's played six total minutes this year. So he's far and away the leader in turnovers per game in the rotation. Alfred Payton is second. Speaking of, Alfred Payton... You ready for my Alfred Payton take? Mm. You and I, I was sitting down in a dark living room when we talked about this over Zoom when he signed. <laughs> Just not a Phoenix Suns player, but that does not exclude him from being a positive, impacting player at times. And most of the time, if he just needs to make the one pass or it's a possession that involves just him or him and another guy he's passing to it can work out but in terms of like the ball spinning around and everyone moving around that is not his game Kevin and I don't think he knows that there was one possession where he was involved in that and he actually like stopped moving for a second completely <laughs> and it was like oh come on I just I don't he's, I don't know he's ISO pick and roll guy lob to JaVale or I get a floater because I got the size guy think about other third string point guards across the league he's a lot better than most like yeah. even with the way that he has played even him playing out of the style at times and not feeling like he's a fit he's like the type of guy you at the end of the season when your team's terrible you'd trade a second round pick to take a flyer on him because you don't have a point guard that's a joke because the Suns did that with him already not laughing move on moving on are you Frank Kaminsky backup center hive it's getting there, man. I wrote a piece on ArizonaSports.com outlining how excellent he was in the Pelicans game. And then uh, last night, too, there were a couple possessions where it's like, ooh, that lateral quickness work. Yeah, there it is. You, you're moving Not a bit Not getting better. bullied by You have to be a strong dude to do that with Jonas all game. That was impressive. There was also, I forgot what game it was, where he, Suns were doing bad things on offense and he just was like oh you left me open for three okay and that's one of those where it's like i don't know if you're the guy who should be breaking them out of this oh okay i mean he's yeah people get a certain idea of of who frank is or like the type of player he is or whatever and i think people were always surprised to hear at the end of the first season that he's not only like one of the guy's favorite teammates but he the guys always talk about and coach always talks about just how hard of a worker he is and he fits right in and it's just you, the Jonas thing and the moving the feet thing. Like, that's just work, man. That's being in the weight improving. room. That's, he's what? He's 28, like, yeah. and he's improving still. Like, that's that's hard work, man. I stopped improving before I was 28. I stopped improving before I was 18. <laughs> Do you think Abdul Nader should be in the rotation still? Meh. <laughs> I don't care as much as other people. Would you call them the Nader haters? Yeah, I, I just wanted to label him. That's capital haters. I should have made it HAD, but mistake. I think he'll be fine once Cam gets back. I think his, like, do people forget he was pretty good last year before his knee injury? And he did not look good when he came back in the playoffs. He still kind of looks off. Um, I'd give him more time. Like, everyone else is getting time to make mistakes and not play well. I agree with you. I was asking the question because that is one of the main things, one of the main consistent agreeable things on twitter seems to be for the majority of people it's like this guy shouldn't be playing anymore and i disagree because i think once campaign comes back and then to our discussion on Shamit, there were plays that they were running in the first Shamit shift where 
Nader was kind of the primary guy and Shamit was standing in the corner and I was like, that should be Shamit. <laughs> but opposite. but opposite. obviously there, again, there's some, Nader's been in the system. Shamit hasn't. They're going to get there from a comfortability level. And then once that's the case and Nader's not the guy who has to drive and kick because he does not, he drives. No, no, there's no kick. No kick. Just a drive. Um, and I th- I actually think like he can make that pass sometimes, but it's not as like the primary guy. And it's mm. like he's just been the primary guy, the first guy to dribble inside far too many times. I think people are quick to ignore that when a team staggers their guard rotation or has something like, oh crap, Russell Westbrook is in against the reserves, well, Nader can guard him. Mm. And that's a value that he brings and that Monty brings up a lot and I think people overlook a lot. If you just like look at certain teams that they had played, like a Peyton, I guess is like a is a pretty good defender. But if you've got like a, a guard with size, and you're looking for someone that can potentially like scale up a position or two, a la Mikel, Nader can do that better than someone else you've got coming off the bench. So yeah, I think it's important. They're they're getting guys' legs in gear right now. I legit believe that. What did what is Monty's? What was his sign that he put up in the thing? And it said something like, "You earned the right to have a short off season or whatever." I don't remember what it said. You know what I'm talking about. You have no idea what I'm talking about. Okay, let's move on. I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know. <laughs> I'm in another galaxy right now. It's fine. That's a whole team. We don't have to talk about Jalen Smith and Chandler Hutchison. I think, but uh... okay. Hey, Jalen had moments against New Orleans. Oh yeah, first shift was good. Second shift was not. But if, hey, one one out of two for like being thrown in there as a second year player who's still figuring out what the heck they're doing. Thought it wasn't bad. I think they can still look to him in those little sections, like a mini sort of what they did with Kaminsky from time to time. I mean, yeah, just Frank goes back to everything we talked about before in the piece I reported the season started where it's like, I think it's like one of the strengths of the team that they have a guy like this and they even have Jalen. If Jalen comes along too, it's like they, yeah. they are super deep there all of a sudden. Not many teams have like the Kaminsky, Peyton stuff. And I think we looked at it through the wrong lens before. I think people got like excited, like, oh, we have like guys who McGee. can start. It's like, yeah. and, and all these guys, it's like, no. no, they can start in a pinch. There's yeah. a, there's yeah. a difference. It's like, you don't. <laughs> want them starting every night you want them to be able to start in a pinch and they have five or six guys that can 36 do minutes of the javel mcgee experience probably not healthy too much last question that i thought of before we go yep. on a team thing devin played the whole first quarter or the whole third i think it was the whole third because he had 16 we have not really seen the stagger at all from Monty so far to start the year. He did it almost entirely last year. He was implementing a new system. These guys know their system now. I think he said it to me after a practice where it was just everything is so known now that their 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 communication and talks are so different than the ones they even had last year. Where it's like they just talk about things on a different level now. Do you think they need the stagger to be the 60-55-60 win team we envisioned, or do you think it is actually not that? Where do you stand on how important it is? Because I will see when campaign comes back. I think that's my answer, but I do think they need it to a certain extent to be as good as they are. So if they don't do it the entire season just to save legs or do it the majority of the season to save legs, that makes me look at them as a different regular season team. I think there's a lot more to be explored with the stagger with Shamit, and that's why I thought like the Kings game where obviously it was because Chris wasn't playing well, I think, and had played a lot of minutes already where they went point book, but I think like that's a good example of oh, like I don't think Monty wants to pull that out until he starts really getting into the heart of the season. Um and, and testing it out a little more before they like lock into stuff um again long season um longer than last year i think they're viewing it as we just want to get our system still implemented things clicking and um the new guys feeling good about it before they start going with like those things that are gonna be more playoff type we're doing this for a matchup or we're doing this because we need to just find something else against this team um so to answer your question about the stagger yeah i think they do need it 
Um, I think it's an important part because just those are new pieces and Shamit's obviously the big part of that. Interesting wrinkle in the schedule, Kevin. We talked about it coming into the homestand that they had this huge break. They have 13 straight games. Actually, this will mark... Let me look. So it'll, it will have been, starting with the New Orleans game, it would have been 15 straight games where they have a maximum of a day off. And that's it. So New Orleans and Houston, they wrap up the homestand with Atlanta. They go to Sacramento, back home for Portland, then back on the road to Memphis, Houston, Minnesota. Then they're home against Dallas twice in Denver. Then they are on the road against San Antonio, Cleveland. And then a back-to-back against New York and Brooklyn wraps that 15 game slate so there are 12 games left they are at four and three that's seven games seven plus 12 19 they'll be nearly 20 games in give me a record 19 games in kevin go 19 games in yep i I got caught up in all the math i was just doing it out loud because i can't do it in my head right now no i can't even think of what you just said um (laughs) they are playing a lot of games in a short amount of time Half of them are on the road. Half of them are against pretty good teams. We got Atlanta coming up. We got Portland, Memphis, Dallas twice, Denver, New York, Brooklyn. And then in the scrappy category, we've got Cleveland and Sacramento. And I did I say Portland or Memphis? I didn't say them. And in the bad category, or Dallas, You can I guess. have 13 and 6. Does that add up? Yeah. Okay. 13 and 6. So they'll go nine and three in their next twelve games. Sure. Yeah. I already said it. I'm sure. with you. I think like twelve or thirteen. I think okay. this will be the the on off switch. Kevin will have to remain on, or they will, because the schedule does not stop. I think that's kind of the point I'm making here. No choice. Yeah. Uh, feet to the fire. I gotta stop thinking of phrases because I can't right now. Sorry, I haven't had air conditioning in my house for three days. I know it's cool outside, but it's like I need to get my air conditioning replaced. And then our this power the went out an hour before I drove here, so I'm losing my mind and my sanity. This was not the right time. This for is all the these right room to, to be in. It's like 70 in here. I'm having the time of my life. <laughs> you can just live in here. I might. All right, we'll be back, everyone. Until next time. Goodbye. <laughs>